Hi friends, and welcome to Robcast 30. I am recording this in the green room at Thalia Hall in Chicago. Tonight is the Chicago night of everything is spiritual. Uh, we've been on seven nights in a row. Tomorrow is a day off. I got a little scratchy voice. How do you like this? From talking a lot. And just the number of you that I've been meeting who are listening to the Robcast, those of you in St. Louis and Cleveland and Milwaukee and Grand Rapids and Indianapolis and Philly from this past week, big shout outs to all of you and so many of the nice things you've said about the podcast. It just means the world to me. So um, big love to everybody out there. This is the final week of the tour. So um, Denver, Salt Lake City, Boise, Spokane, Reno, never been to Reno, and San Francisco wraps it all up for this uh, Everything is Spiritual Tour, and it's just been so extraordinary. Um, I got some things I want to talk to you about on this podcast. I got a story, actually, that I want to tell you. Before I do that, August 23rd, I think you know what this day is. I think you've got it marked. August 23rd is my birthday. I'm going to be 45. And in the last Robcast, I interviewed Scott Harrison from Charity Water. And at the end, as you know, I asked you to give to my birthday campaign at my.charitywater.org uh, backslash Rob dash bell backslash rob i think is how you get to it how's that um my dot charitywater.org rob bell and um here's what i'm doing i want to get water to tons and tons of people and those of you who have been listening um it is so much fun for me to do this robcast and to give it to you each week and obviously it's free so now what i'm doing is i'm cashing in on the gift and i'm asking you to give money so that we can get people who need fresh clean water the water that they need every penny that you give goes to the water last week scott explained how there's a whole separate fund for the administration of all the gifts and all that and the drilling of the wells but the actual gifts that you give go straight to water you can see all that at charitywater.org um, but this is a really big deal to me and you know i was joking about that american idol singer fella adam and how many his much money his followers raised but please tell me we can do this if everybody who listens to robcast does ten dollars or does 45 dollars, we can seriously get so many people water and a number of you have already given and it just already blows my mind so it's already just incredible so anyway august 23rd is my birthday looking forward to all of us together doing something really extraordinary when i was 21 i was teaching water skiing in a camp in northern wisconsin and uh, i was on the waterfront staff and there was the mountain biking staff and there was the you know the horse people and uh each Sunday, they had this religious service in this grove of pine trees. And one week, it was the turn of the waterfront staff to actually plan this religious service and like a chapel service. And I remember somebody saying, well, who's going to give the sermon? And I said, I will. And do you ever say something and the words leave your mouth and you can't get them back? You're like, whoa, those are out there. They're, they're, that's, that's been said. And they said, okay, Rob, you do the sermon. And I remember thinking, a sermon? What's, how do I do a sermon? Like, what's a sermon? How do you put together a sermon? So I walked around that week in the woods. I uh, took some notes on things I've been thinking about. I remember reading the Bible, thinking if I read the Bible, maybe something magically would happen. And then that Sunday, came and I got up to give this talk and I 
remember I was wearing Birkenstocks and I stood up there to talk and I took off the sandals before I started talking because I was overwhelmed with this awareness that I was on holy ground and that my life was never going to be the same again. Because I, uh, there was always somebody smarter. There was always somebody who got better grades. Growing up, there was always somebody who was better at sports. There was always somebody who seemed to try half as hard and do twice as well. There was always somebody with better clothes, somebody who was more popular, somebody who seemed to move more effortlessly. Please tell me you relate to this. Whatever I did, there was always somebody who could do it better. And then there was this moment at 21 in this grove of pine trees when I stood up to give the sermon. And I remember thinking, my life is never going to be the same again. I'm supposed to do this. And quickly followed by, I might be terrible at this. It doesn't matter if I'm good or bad at this because this would get me out of bed in the morning. Whatever this thing is, creating space where people could have some sort of experience with God, that's what I'm here for. Um, and I had always been restless. I hadn't done that well in school. Um, I feel like I was always trying to find my place, but somehow in that moment, it was like, it was like the first moment of clarity I had had, like, just do this. And even if you're terrible at it, just do this. Now, my parents had taken us to church growing up, uh, but I have these distinct memories, even at a young age, of thinking, this should be the stuff, you know what I mean? Like, this gathering, I mean, this is love and peace and joy and how to forgive people and what is this thing we call life and where does it come from and where is it headed? I remember I always used to think this is, should be the most riveting discussion anywhere. This should be spellbinding. This, we should be on their edge of our seats because these are the biggest ideas and questions humanity has been wrestling with for thousands of years and yet how come this thing is so boring? Uh, it's interesting later in life when you see who you've become, you look back and you see the seeds early on. Because we would go, and I, and I heard the Jesus stories, and I found the Jesus stories absolutely riveting. I loved the idea that whenever there was uh, an in-group that had somehow kicked something, somebody to the edge, Jesus always moved from the center to the edge. I love the idea that when people asked him questions, he responded with questions. It was almost like he said, you have to own this. You have to think about this. this is, you, you gotta make this your own. You, you gotta actually wrestle with it. You can't just ask me to spoon feed it. I love the idea that he was loose and free and funny and so clever. And he told these stories that were so bizarre and shocking. I just found Jesus utterly compelling. I believed, still do, still do more than ever. I. I came in through that door. I did, there wasn't like a catechism. There wasn't a list of doctrine or dogma. I heard these stories and they moved me. Something about them told me that this, this Jesus could be trusted, that there was something true and grounding, something about the center of the universe in this story. And so there was this moment standing there in this grove of pine trees taking off my Birkenstocks, this moment of like, this is what I'm here for. This is what I'm supposed to do. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna throw myself into this. So I went to seminary and uh, I studied this. I got marked down in one of my preaching classes in seminary because I, they wanted us to stand behind a podium and read from a manuscript. <laughs> and they had like one camera set up that was framed on the podium and they wanted you to 
stand perfectly still and just talk into the microphone and read from your thing. And I kept walking around and the camera person couldn't keep up. <laughs> um, and then I got my first job in a church um, as a pastor. And I remember going to the front desk at the church and I said, I just wanna see everything. I wanna have the full experience. So if somebody calls the church and they're suicidal and they need someone to talk to, will you please send the call to me? Um, if there are funerals that someone needs to do, I'll do them. So like when I was like tw literally 25, I remember doing a funeral for someone who had died of AIDS and people weren't talking about that sort of thing. I said, if somebody's in prison and they need someone to go visit them, let me do it. Literally. I'll never forget visiting somebody in prison no one wanted to visit, and the guard took me into this little cinder block room, and he said, all right, I'm gonna bring the inmate in. I just want you to know this inmate is under 24-hour video surveillance. And I said, why? And he said, because he's violent and he could hurt somebody. <laughs> and I said to the guard, wait, 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 where are you gonna be? And he said, oh, I'm gonna leave you in here with the guy. I'm gonna lock the door and I'm gonna go over to my desk. And I said, well, what if, like what if he tries to hurt me? And the guard says, oh, it's okay. <laughs> I'll be able to watch on my screen. <laughs> so that was what it was like. I was, I was 24, 25, 26, and I just wanted to see everything up close. I wanted to have the full experience. And I started giving these sermons. And the interesting thing would happen is I would give some of my first sermons and like I would talk and then afterwards somebody would come up and they'd say something like this. They would say something like, oh, thank you. For the first time, I feel like I'm at peace with my mother's death. And, and I remember I would think, oh, that's great. But that was a sermon on generosity. That had nothing to do with your mother's death. But what struck me is that this was an art form, that the sermon was actually an art form and that what this art form does is it creates space for people to hear whatever it is they need to hear. There's this great rabbinic story about these three disciples who used to study with their master teacher on Sabbath evening. And one night, the three disciples are walking home. And the one says to the other two, I'm so sorry, the rabbi spoke with me the whole night. Then the second one says, what are you talking about? It's clear that the rabbi spoke with just me. Third one says, you're both crazy. I think it's obvious to everyone that the rabbi spoke with me the whole night and it's me who should be apologizing to you two. And at that moment, all three felt silent, fell silent because they realized what had happened. In the ancient commentary, the Midrash on the story goes something like this. So it is with spirit that each person swears the divine was speaking to just them. So what happened is I... I stumbled into this art form, the sermon, and it was, I began to realize that what this art form does is it creates space where people can hear whatever it is they need to hear. That, that there was something about the words, but then there was also something about the spaces between the words. There was both creating the form and the structure so that people could have the experience, working really, really hard on the ideas and the texts and the stories and working really, really hard to actually say something, but knowing that all that hard work to actually make a point and say things was also creating space where people could hear all sorts of things that went way beyond whatever the points or the ideas or whatever it is I thought I was communicating. And what I began to discover is that, the, that for many people, the sermon in our culture had been hijacked 
by a bunch of a, a number of other things. For many people, the sermon was simply how you raise money. You know what I'm talking about? It's like 37 minutes of great stuff followed by, and that's why we need to build a bigger building. And that for many people, the sermon was basically, it was what somebody said in order to build their thing bigger. Or in other cases, uh, my observation was that the sermon was like peer propaganda. It was just tell people the things that you've told them over and over and over again. Just repeat the same things over and over again. And then many times people would then say, see, we're being faithful. But what I kept learning as a pastor is that we grow because of disruptions. We grow because we hear something that we never heard before. And so what happened is I realized that, that sermons and, and even faith communities can become inoculated against the new fresh word that shakes you up and spurs you on to growth and expansion of consciousness. And that sometimes what happens is when there is a new word, then we have to fire that person, right? Because we can't have that happening. And so as I began to explore this sermon as an art form, I realized that it was somewhere between guerrilla theater and performance art and a TED talk and a recovery meeting and a revival. I mean, think about Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. Nobody heard that speech and then went, said, oh my word, he was funnier last week. Or nobody said, you know, I think he went long. No, it was a happening. It was an event. You were either there or you weren't there. It was dangerous and beautiful and comforting and disturbing that it was, it was this moment in time when you were being invited to look deep into your own soul, to take action, to rest in the grace and love of God, like that the sermon had this power to do something and that more and more I realized I wanted to give my life to resurrecting this art form. And that central to this art form was this awareness for me coming out of the Christian tradition that Jesus comes in his full humanity to lead us into our full humanity. There's this big word, incarnation, this idea in the Jesus story that the divine and the human can exist in the same place. And so the sermon, part of the power of the sermon was creating space for people to be fully human. Doubt, fear, anxiety, worry, anger, vengeance, revenge, joy, euphoria, peace, love, transcendence, harmony, all of the spectrum of human experience, it's okay, it's fully normal. I met a man uh, two nights ago um, in the, the pre-show event here on tour and he just said, two years ago he said, my mom died and two weeks ago he said my dad died and i'm just angry and he started to cry and he just said i mean is that normal and i was like yes it's normal <laughs> actually if you weren't grieving if you didn't have some level of loss even anger something would be probably be wrong with you you've just had this extraordinary painful loss ripped out of your life of course it's normal and it strikes me so many people and now like being on tour and every night I do a meet and greet afterwards and so I get to literally meet I ask to the I say to the audience I'd love to meet every single one of you and so we do like a photo line and I get to meet people and hug people and I get to hear little brief snippets of their stories and there's this really interesting thing that happens when you meet literally two three four hundred people every night week after week after week is it's almost like you begin to feel sort of a collective humanity 
And for so many of you, what I say to you over and over is, that's normal. That's normal that you're grieving. It's normal that you're filled with joy. It's normal that you'd have a sense of fear about that. It's normal that you'd experience some stress based on what you've been, that's all perfectly normal. And that part of the power of the sermon of this particular art form is it announces to everybody, it's good to be human. And whatever you're experiencing, it's pretty normal. And now that we start there, where do you wanna go? Where could we take it? What's possible? So I kept giving sermons and then we started a church and the sermons kept going and that was always the thing. It's always been the thing for me that like, this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to keep working with this art form. And then when we started our church, what happened is I noticed that when I talked about the Jesus message, about grace, about redemption, about courage, about worrying less, about forgiving people who have wronged you, about being a grounded and centered presence who isn't tossed back and forth by everything that comes your way. More and more I began to realize that I was talking about what it means to be human. That if you, if you take the Jesus message all the way into its heart, you're talking about what it means to flourish as a human being, what it means to walk through suffering with dignity, what it means to look in the midst of trials and difficulties for the new thing that's being birthed, what it means to be the kind of person who does the right thing, knowing that it will be a, there will be a cost. And so what happened is I realized this, this is far less about promoting any one religion over against other religions, partly because Jesus didn't talk about that, but this is about what it means to be human. And all these different people from all these different backgrounds kept coming. And what was fascinating is afterwards I would, inter I would talk to people and they would have questions and I would realize these people, the thing that unites them is human. That this isn't about the promotion of you know, one particular narrow religion. This is about all of us together. Uh, my friend Don Golden always used to say when we would serve the Eucharist, we're setting the table for the whole world. And uh, I, re I began to wonder, this art form seems like it sometimes is almost trapped in a particular, Kristen would talk about, it's like a canvas painting but it's in a frame and the frame is Sundays at a particular hour on Sundays but I kept thinking but this art form is about what it means to be human it's for everybody and this was probably about 2005 maybe I'd been reading a bunch on quantum physics and I've been making a bunch of connections between quantum physics and Genesis chapter 1 and the Hebrew poetry in Genesis 1 you know <laughs> standard content and uh, the, the usual ideas and I thought, wow, there's a lot here. I would love to show people what I'm seeing. And I had been doing a bunch of drawings to sort of make sense of what I was learning. And I kept doing more drawings and they kept growing and the pieces of paper I was working with just kept getting wider and wider. And eventually it was like a half hour, 45 minutes, an hour, an hour and a half of content. And I remember thinking, this is like a mega sermon. This is like a sermon on steroids. This is like a hour and a half sermon show thing. And I thought, if I do that, I'll need a huge writing space, like maybe a w giant whiteboard. And if I do it, I would need to do it like a lot. Like maybe I should do it in a bunch of different cities. And a friend of mine is a, is a drummer and he introduced me to his booking agent. And I never forget driving down to Chicago to meet with the booking agent. I basically, <laughs> at lunch, I pitched him, I'm a pastor from Grand Rapids, Michigan, and I wanna do a tour 
of the country. And I want to do like punk clubs and small theaters. And I'm, I'm going to have this 24-foot whiteboard made. And I want to talk about quantum physics and Hebrew spirituality in like an hour and a half kind of like show where people would come. And I remember thinking like, this guy must think I'm nuts. And uh, his name was Tim. Tim said, well, I'll see what I can do. Because when you tour somebody in each city, a promoter essentially has to take a risk on the event. And if no one comes, somebody loses their shirt. Um, and he sold, like he did it. He, he like booked the tour around the country. And that tour was the Everything is Spiritual tour. And I think we did 25 American cities in 28 days. And what was so interesting to me is I wanted to see how far could this art form be taken? Like, could it be given the weight, and I believe the, almost like the honor it deserves? Because sermons have changed history. Think about the anti-segregation sermons. Thinking about anti-slavery sermons. Think about the Hebrew prophets, who some people believe were the first in human history to argue coherently for a vision of social justice and dignity for the poor and oppressed. I mean, sermons... Many people, they think of sermon, they think of sinners in the hands of an angry God, judgment, condemnation, but sermons have a long history of joy and hope and confronting the systems of injustice and power, of giving people restored human dignity and honor, that of, of creating space where people could be reminded that you're made in the image of God, that you are a child, you are a son, a daughter of the divine of sparking people with hope, spurring them on, challenging them with just what might be possible. Sermons have been the root of so much creative activity in the world. And what happened when we went out on tour is essentially taking the sermon out of the confines, which can be really beautiful. All the given sermons on Sunday mornings, awesome awesome totally cheering you on but for me i knew something about my path my work you could say my calling what was to take it to some new places and that first tour led to more tours led to more tours and then um a couple of years ago i started thinking wouldn't it be amazing to do and everything is spiritual too and i wonder if there's more there and i wonder if we could i wonder how far it could be taken and so uh, now I'm in the green room of this venue. I'm going to go upstairs in a little bit and do uh, Everything is Spiritual. And it's about a two-hour, one-man show, talk, sermon on steroids. I don't know what it is. But um, I love doing it. And I love this extraordinary thing I get to do that brings me so much joy of creating space. The modern world is insane. It is throwing at us tons of fragments every day that kind of make no sense. Think about just alone the advertising that you're bombarded with that tells you that if you just had one more possession, then you'd be happy. Or if you just bought that, then the questions would be answered. And that there is power in creating space. And that part of being a healthy, whole human, it's not just a sermon, it's however you create space to remind yourself that you're not insane, to remind yourself of human dignity, to center and ground yourself, that you are here, that you have something to do, some contribution, that all is well, even if it isn't. It's fascinating to me, all of these questions that people are asking about church, and right now there's a giant rethink going on because 
a lot of ways of being and understanding church aren't working anymore. So we need, as a friend of mine says, we need to let things die that need to die so that things can be born that need to be born. And it's unbelievable the number of people I'm meeting who are starting fresh new things. Jesus talked about where two or three are gathered. You can create space alone. You can create space with two or three people. You can create, and I can't believe the number of people who say, well, why isn't there a church like the stuff that you talk about in my town? And I always simply say, because you haven't started it. And by started it, I don't mean money. I don't mean a building. I don't mean a website. I don't mean signs out front. I don't mean neon lights and sound systems and video projectors. I mean you and just a couple of people with some good food around a table. Maybe you have an idea that you're discussing. Maybe you read a chapter. Maybe you listen to a podcast. Maybe you work through a liturgy. Maybe you read through some ancient prayers. Maybe you just start the thing that you want to be a part of. Just start it. You don't need any money. And I think actually, I think one of the things that's happening is the giant, big institutions that for many people simply aren't creating the space to help them cultivate a sense of wonder and awe. I think what's happening is people, the whole thing is, is it's crumbling as a new thing is being birthed. It's a lot like the first thing, which is a group of people in their home, their patio, their garage, the pub down the corner, their backyard. It's almost like it's going back to its roots, which was some people that you love and trust, working out your stuff among each other, creating all this room for doubt and fear and worry and anxiety and also joy and celebration. When one of you suffers, all of you suffer. When one of you's experiencing extraordinary joy, the rest of you celebrate with them. For some reason, when I was like 21, I stumbled into this art form. And something within me told me that I was supposed to give my life to it. That I was supposed to give everything I could to creating space. Whether it was a live event, whether it was a Robcast, whether it was even with a book, you're creating space to a certain degree. Even with it with short films, whatever it was. I know, unbelievably fortunate. That's my prayer for you. My prayer is that you will find that craft that brings you that kind of joy. Now, it's also been agonizing, difficult. Man, the amount of blood and sweat and tears, it's also been excruciating at moments. That's part of anybody's path. But my prayer and hope for you is that you would find that thing. And first off, I totally totally deny any any sentiment that says you can be too old and you may not have found it and so it's just too late i don't believe that i don't believe that i did a funeral a couple years ago for Kristen's grandma and a 92 year old woman sat down next to me and said my name is mary i've read all your books i'm 92 and i'm just getting started so i have met people the other night, this couple, he was 72, she was 78. They just got married. They each had been married for over 50 years to their first spouses. And they said, we stay up till 2 a.m. telling stories. I mean, the people that I have met on this tour, people late in the game, 70, 80, who are coming out to a club, to an event that starts at 8.30. They're meeting me like around 11 or midnight. And they're like, I am more alive than ever. So I don't buy any of that, that you're too late. You can always 
keep trying new things until you stumble into something. If you're a mom, what could be more beautiful than being a mom? What could be a more noble craft than bringing into the world new life and shaping it? So when people ask about church and the relevance of it and what's the point and is it gonna survive, I just simply ask, do you have big questions about your life? Do you need some people to journey with? Do you want to become a better person? Do you have a sense that grace is something you need every day? Of course, of course. All this nonsense about church. No, no, certain forms are gonna die because they're lame. But the need we have to journey together with a tribe of people, we're always gonna have that. And you can create that anytime, anyplace. So now, I'm gonna go upstairs, I've got butterflies. I always get butterflies beforehand. They never have gone away. Butterflies, I think, are God's way of saying you're still in the game. Better to have butterflies than to have no butterflies, know what I'm saying? And I'm gonna give it all I got for the thousandth time, that's all part of it. And it could go great, it could not, who knows, but that's not, you know, that's out of my control. What I can do is give it everything I got. And that's my prayer for you, that you would stumble into something that fills you with life and that you'd be able to work at it year after year after year. That you have to give yourself to it, that it would humble you in all the ways that the craft I've been giving myself to has humbled me. And in the process, you'd find yourself full of life. So, my brothers and sisters, may grace and peace be with you.